We're in our third message in our series entitled Here to There, and we're talking about in this series how do we go from here to there in terms of having the attitude of Jesus Christ. These first three messages have dealt mainly with the question of what do I do when my world turns upside down? Um, today we're going to kind of uh, conclude this first leg of our journey uh, in this series that's 17 weeks long and next week we're going to dive into the next segment which is dealing with the heart and for five weeks then we'll look at what do we do to have a heart that's reflective uh, of Jesus Christ but this morning we're going to look at um, the final message then and what do you do when your world turns upside down by looking into an ancient king named King Hezekiah and he faced some very trying times in his life, and he just exhibited, he just examples for us what it means to have a radical trust of God in the midst of the most trying circumstances. Um, let me give you a little history here. So, in that first message a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about how, how uh, in Isaiah's time, Isaiah's the uh, ancient prophet in the Old Testament where you find a lot of these stories uh, written about in, that, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, something happened uh, to Isaiah and gang. Uh, king Uzziah died. He had been king for 50 years, and that really turned the world upside down at that time. And, and they had to rely upon God. But something else was happening during that time, too, this superpower of Assyria was coming on the scene. Now, today, when we read about King Hezekiah, years and years down the road, we're going to see that Assyria is a full-blown superpower that he's dealing with. That's, that's a problem for him. And so uh, I, I wanted to give you that background so you can kind of tie some of this stuff together. But what's going on is that little Judah, who King Hezekiah is over, is deciding that we are not going to serve Assyria anymore. We're going to rebel against Assyria. And this put them in a great place of peril. And they had one thing that they're going to have to depend upon, that, 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 that God would deliver them. If God did not deliver them, they were in big trouble. So with that bit of background, let me read to you um, the story here as it begins to unfold in uh, 2 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Listen to this. In the third year of Hosea, son of Eli, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. It's quite a statement, isn't it? He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Now hear this line. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now what you have to understand is this was done in contrast to his father Ahaz. Hezekiah rebelled against Assyria. Ahaz aligned with Assyria. Hezekiah said, no way I'm going to follow the superpower anymore and be their vassals. In King Ahaz's day, who was the father of Hezekiah, he willingly became the vassal, the servant of the Assyrians. And this brings us to the first point I want you to get here when it comes to radical trust. Radical trust is willing to leave no options other than God's deliverance. 
radical trust, like King Hezekiah exhibited, like Jesus Christ exhibited, and we're trying to go from here to there, we're trying to look like Jesus Christ throughout this series, leaves no option other than God's deliverance. This step of defiance by Hezekiah is a statement of deep trust in God because if God does not come through and if God does not deliver them, they're dead. They're in big trouble. Assyria is a superpower. Judah is this little, weak, fragile nation. I thought of an example that might help us see the differentiation between uh, Judah and Assyria. Back in the 1960s, a film came out named Bambi Meets Godzilla. Already the title's revealing, isn't it? I want you to watch this short cartoon. It's rather strange, but I like strange things. I don't know about you. Think of Bambi as little Judah, humanly speaking. Think of Godzilla as Assyria, humanly speaking. Go ahead and watch this. why I grew up the way I am. That kind of stuff influenced me when I was young. Movie making was fine and dandy back in the 1960s. It's actually not that much better but now. But uh, so some strange things take place. But this contest between Judah and Assyria is like this. Judah's like Bambi and Assyria is like Godzilla, humanly speaking. And so when Judah, under the leadership of Hezekiah, de- decides to rebel against Assyria, it's craziness, my friend. It's absolutely craziness. And, and the only option for Judah is divine deliverance by God or their stomping material for Assyria. And that, this revolt doesn't sit well with Assyria. And so they actually begin to attack the nation of Judah. And they're knocking on the doorstep. They're knocking on the doorstep of Jerusalem here. So that's where we're going to pick up the story now in Isaiah chapter 36. Listen to this. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. In the 14th year um, of King Hezekiah's reign, Shennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Uh, when the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, 
Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, uh, Sebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to him. So what you don't see here is there's a deja vu moment that takes place right here. Um, the commander stops at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field to kind of talk and threaten Judah. Well, that's exactly the same place if you were to read back in Isaiah chapter 7, that Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, has the same kind of moment. The enemies are there. He's at the aqueduct. They're threatening him and all that kind of stuff. It's a deja vu moment. And it's interesting that Isaiah, the prophet, said to King Ahaz back in Isaiah chapter 7, he said to him when this threat of the enemy was coming against him, be careful, be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Be courageous. He was exhorting, and he went on to exhort King Ahaz back in that chapter 7, Isaiah, to stand fast in God. He's saying, Ahaz, have this radical faith in God. Trust in God to deliver. But instead, you know what King Ahaz did? He chose to make an alliance with the new emerging superpower, Assyria. He chose, instead of trusting God, to say, Assyria, we'll be your vassal. We'll be your servants. Just protect us. And that then led to the situation that we're now reading about in Isaiah with King Hezekiah. He's now facing the consequences of his father's poor choice. And the initial words of counsel that the Lord gave through Isaiah to King Ahaz, would now find a resting place in King Ahaz's son, King Hezekiah, who would now be one who would listen to those words, and he'd be careful, and he'd be calm, and he'd be courageous. Isn't that interesting? I don't know about you. I find that fascinating. Now, the Bible is wonderfully strange, I say, how God works. A father fails to trust God, and a son comes along and does just the opposite. So these officials from Assyria have come to intimidate the people of Jerusalem. The, the field commander enters a conversation um, with Hezekiah's officials in front of the walls of Jerusalem. All the people of Jerusalem are sitting on the wall. They're perched on the wall. They're kind of listening to this conversation. Uh, put yourself in that place. Imagine now you're not sitting in a pew. You're sitting on the wall of Jerusalem. And these officials of Assyria have come and, and they're making threats against you and your people. Imagine yourself in that regard. Put yourself into that place now and listen as I read to you um, Isaiah chapter 36, verses 4 through 10. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. I'm sure he puffed his chest out. You know. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. You've got to read that with some sarcasm. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my, officials, um, of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, I have come to attack and destroy this land. Uh, 
have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Wow. You know what this is called, my friends? A Godzilla versus Bambi moment, amen? Humanly speaking, and this is some fine, fine trash talk. I don't know if you're into trash talking or not, but this is trash talk on steroids. This is good trash talk. But the commander who's given this trash talk has it all wrong. The false places that Hezekiah had torn down were good in the Lord's sight. They weren't reliant upon Egypt at all. Oftentimes when someone is trash-talking your faith, they got it all wrong. Which brings us to this sub-point. When, uh, when you limit your options to God, when you limit your options to God's way, that's a position of power. And it just goes against all of our natural inclination to think that. Including those who are trash-talking us. When you limit your options to only God, that is a position of power. And I don't know about you, but I have to remind myself of that all the time because I don't think that way, humanly speaking. I like options, and I like to be in control. I like to get things done. I don't like details because that's too much work, but I like to be in control, at least a perceived control. How about you? And when we limit our options to just God, man, that's a position of power, and I have to speak that to my soul a lot because I just don't believe that. Have you ever had, at times I don't believe it, okay? Have you ever had someone trash talk your faith? Have you ever been the recipient of some joke with coworkers? Maybe it's gotten nasty. Maybe your family has said, you're taking this just a little bit too far. You're actually believing this stuff. You know, have you ever been the recipient of a little bit of trash talk? Have you noticed that frequently they have the story wrong? <laughs> they don't even know what you're really about. Have you ever noticed that? Just watch the news when they kind of start cutting down Christianity. They usually don't know what they're talking about. Not when it comes to true faith. So this is point two. Radical trust stands fast in the face of trash talk because, after all, most of the time trash talk is wrong and it's meant to intimidate the recipient. What's the goal of trash talk? Intimidation, right? You ever been the recipient of trash talk in your life of some sort, some nature? I remember being the recipient once when I was playing basketball in high school. We were playing our arch rival, and I remember this so vividly. We went out to do the uh, center court jump and start the game. And I lined up next to this guy who was going to guard me, and he began to trash talk me. And he was calling me all kinds of names and making all kinds of threats against me and talking about my lineage and all that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, finally, you know, this went out for about 30 seconds or so, and he's muttering all these things. I just started laughing. I couldn't help it. I'm thinking, we're playing in front of 2,000 people. Nothing's going to happen to me here, buddy. I looked at him and I said, you're ridiculous, you know. And basically, I took it to him that day, you know. It was pretty much lame threats. And so, but, but you know what? What's the, what's the motivation of, of, of trash talk? Intimidation. Intimidation. And we have to remember that. Um, um, this trash talk continues on. And, and, and the, the leaders of Hezekiah, who were there, his officials said, hey, don't speak to us in Hebrew. Speak to us in Aramaic. Let's let this conversation be between you and us. Um, but the commander replies and says, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not the men sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine? Now, that isn't meant just to paint an ugly picture for us. What they were saying here by this threat was, we're going to lay siege to Jerusalem. We don't want to wreck the city. We're going to lay siege and you're going to run out of food and you're going to starve to death and you're not going to have anything to drink and then you're going to surrender to us and we're going to take this whole thing 
anyway. It's psychological warfare. And basically what the Syrian commanders are trying to do here, the officials are trying to instill into the people of Israel, the people of Judah at that time, a spirit of fear. They wanted them to fear what was going to lie ahead so that they would surrender and give up. Listen, fear is an enemy of the people of God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I say this a lot here. Fear is an enemy of the people of God. Fear is an enemy of the people of God. It does not work in us faith. It does just the opposite. Fear paralyzes. You know what? Think about how fear messes you up. Sometimes maybe God's doing a a work in your life, but you don't want to admit that. Maybe you fear your peers. You don't want to look bad in front of them. You want to admit your utter dependence upon God or whatever. As soon as that fear captivates your soul, it destroys your faith and stops the move of God in your life. Maybe you know you need to have a tough conversation with somebody. Maybe you need to have, maybe it even needs to be a little bit of confrontation. You need to say some things that are, 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 are needed to be said, uh, whether it be a family member or a friend or whatever, an associate, and you don't want to do that. Um, maybe you're fearful of the confrontation. But listen, pray to God that you would be motivated by the love of God and have that talk because if you don't have that talk, if fear wins the day, your relationship with that person will be superficial anyway. Amen? You'll never have the relationship you're meant to have. And when fear captures the soul, the follower of God, it paralyzes their faith. It stops the move of God in their life. It's an enemy. And that's the kind of thing that the Assyrians were trying to instill into those Judaites that were present there at that moment. They were trying to instill fear in them. And we got to say, as a follower of God, fear will never rule my heart. Amen? We do not function out of fear as the people of God. We never function out of fear as as the people of God. Well, the trash talk continues in Isaiah chapter 36 all the way to the end, but it changes its focus. It moves from being kind of directed at what's going to happen to Hezekiah and gang. It turns to God and their, and their perception that if you trust in God, that's foolish. And I thought, oh, you just got the big dog into the game now. You don't want to do that. And I'm not referring to God as a dog. He's not. He's holy and righteous and all that kind of stuff, okay? So don't send me a note. At any rate, um, so basically, the, the commander then says all this and says, look, here's what you need. Just surrender to us, God. Just surrender and enjoy the good life. Figs and vineyards and cisterns are waiting for you. I read that and I go, that has no appeal to me whatsoever. But I guess back in the day, figs and vineyards and cisterns were a big honking deal. And they say, no God of any nation has been able to stand against this. Wow, okay, now God's in the picture. You've crossed the line here uh, if you're in Assyria, and that's, that's, that's trouble. Now, get this. The enemy of God, the devil, he trash talks us all the time, people of God. Do you understand that? He tries to get you to be a person of fear. He says, why are you trusting in God? Just blend in the culture. It's not worth the battle. Just surrender. Just give in. Just go for the good life. Enjoy the good things. Don't follow God. It's not worth it. And he's trash-talking us exactly the same way that the Assyrians trash-talked against the Israelites back in that day. But the people of that time remained silent. They said nothing in reply because I think they knew the truth. Be careful. Be calm. And don't be afraid. Radical trust results in the followers who are careful, who stay calm, and are courageous. Who are careful, stay calm, and are courageous. Let me explain the word careful to you. It's a cool word. It means to watch over closely, to tend like you would cultivate a garden, to tend a garden. And so what basically Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz, who didn't listen to him, but now King Hezekiah was listening to that instruction, and so were the people 
of Israel at that time, the people of Judah at that time, I should say that right, was they were listening to this idea, we have to be careful of what we let come into our hearts. We've got to cultivate the right. We've got to cultivate the truth. I'm going to use Aaron's language from last week's message. We've got to remember that God is purposeful. We've got to cultivate that in our life. We've got to make it room for it. We've got to plant it in our lives, and we've got to fertilize that thing. We've got to let it grow. We've got to cultivate. And remember, God is purposeful. Whatever you're facing, God's purposeful. Right? Amen? He does things on purpose. And then we've got to reframe our thinking. Always think in the framework of faith. Whatever is coming against you, think in the framework of faith. Cultivate that in you. Plant it like a garden. Fertilize it. Grow it up. Whatever you're facing, think in the framework of faith. God, what are you up to? I want to be a faithful follower of you. And then be ready to see God move. Expect God to move. Cultivate that. Tend to it. Fertilize it. Let it grow in your life. That's what it means to be careful. That's what the prophet Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz, who didn't listen to him, but King Hezekiah did. And then he goes on and says, be calm. I like that word too. It just means undisturbed, to cause to be quiet. Don't let the world's noise and threats and busyness and trash talk displace the peace of Jesus in your life. Be calm. Be quiet. Just trust in him. And of course, courageous speaks for itself. Be courageous. Follow God boldly. This whole situation Hezekiah faced is about whom will I trust? For us, for us today, who, who do we trust? Jesus, right? It's just that simple. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like Jesus. We want to have the same radical trust that Jesus had uh, going on in this life, going on in our life. We want to look like Jesus. That's what this question is all about. Who ultimately do I trust with my life? And we should all say, Jesus, amen? That's who we trust. Well, let's pick up the story, at Isaiah chapter 36. I'm going to read through the end of that and go into 37. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told them what the field commander had said. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leaving priests all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. Hezekiah does the right thing here. When faced with this overwhelming circumstance, what does he do? He lets it drive him where? Right? It depends on God. Amen? He doesn't downplay his own inadequacies and weaknesses. He admits them, and he throws himself onto God. We talked about that in week one of this series. He, he acknowledges, I'm no strength in myself, God. Help! Deliver us! But as important as all that is, the greater point is that he sees this is all about God now. This is all about God. God has been ridiculed here. Which brings us to point number four. Radical trust will understand the God-centeredness of life. Radical trust means I understand the God-centeredness of life. Then Hezekiah went to Isaiah, the prophet, and the prophet says these comforting words back to Hezekiah. Listen, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you have heard, these words which the underlings of the king of Syria have blasphemed. Um, listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. 
So the field commander did hear this report, and he returned back to help his king. And all of a sudden, uh, Sennacherib is occupied with other battles. So know what he does? He writes a letter. You ever get a letter, a nasty letter? He writes a nasty letter to King Hezekiah. He's one more shot at this guy. He writes this nasty letter saying the same things. Don't think that I forgot you. Don't think for a moment, Hezekiah, I'm not coming back. I'm going to come back and no God of any other nation has ever stood before me. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Same old thing in written form. And I love, I love what King Hezekiah does. It's something that we all need to do. He takes that letter that the king of Assyria sends him and he lays it out before the Lord. And he basically prays the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Listen to what he prays here over this letter that the king of Assyria sent to him. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Hallowed be thy name. He's hallowing the name of God. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. Is it, it is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God, are the only Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy word be done. That is what he is doing here. Amen? He's hallowing God's name. And he's saying, God, look, I'm facing this. I'm facing this. I'm facing this threat. They're, they're, they're not hallowing your name. Show yourself mighty. Hallow your name so the nations know that you are God. See, radical trust turns to prayer, and that prayer is about God and God's name and his name being hallowed and his will being done and his kingdom coming. If we were to continue on in Isaiah 37, we'd see that Isaiah sends a messenger from God to Hezekiah assuring him, your prayers have been answered. This is indeed going to happen. So here's a reflection moment, a life application moment for you. I want you to enter in now, okay? What's your letter from Assyria right now that you're facing? What's going on in your life? Take this home. What's causing you to have unrest in your soul? What seems to be threatening you? What's causing you to lose your peace? What's your letter from Assyria? It could be a battle you have going on. It could be something threatening you. It could be somebody ridiculing you. For What is your letter of us here? Lay it out before God. Amen? Lay it out before God in faith. And say, God, I want to see you as my only option as I look at this. That's what Hezekiah did. I want to see you as my only option. Pray that way. God, I want to stand fast, even if I'm the recipient of ridicule, because I'm standing fast in you. God, God, even when, I'm, when they're trash-talking me, I'm going to trust in you. God, I want to be careful. I'm going to cultivate faith in my heart. I'm going to cultivate faith in spite of what's going on. I'm going to cultivate faith in my heart. 
I'm going to be calm. I'm going to have the peace of Jesus rule over me, not circumstances or, or life that uh, fear is not going to take root of me. Uh, God, I'm going to be bold and courageous in you. God, I want you to be center of everything. I want to have a God-centeredness in my life. And you're praying over this thing that way. You're praying in the authority of God's word. You're praying according to the Bible. You're praying according to the example of Hezekiah. And then, then you, really what you're doing is you're hallowing God's name. You're saying, God, I want your name to be lifted high. I want your name to be reverenced in my life and those around me. Amen? I'm going to bring this thing to you and, and I'm going to trust in you. What's your letter from Assyria? Now for the rest of the story, by the way, if you're curious what happened to the Assyrians, we're told that uh, an angel of the Lord came to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 of those men. They fled with their tails between their legs, so to speak, back to their country. Uh, Sennacherib returns to Nineveh in Assyria. One day while worshiping in the temple of his gods, his sons come in and cut him down, and he dies, just like God said. The same God that worked in Hezekiah's life is active and alive today, amen? And he will work with your letter from Assyria too, amen? I want to give you about 20 seconds here to reflect on what is your letter from Assyria. I want you to think of one thing that, that you're facing today that's causing some fear in your life. Just take 20 seconds to think on that, and then I want to pray over you. So here we go. It's going to be quiet, but the praise band's going to play while you do this reflection. Okay, let me show you how this works in my life a little bit. I've gone through Bible school. I'm working at 3M at the time. I was a plant engineering manager over here at the plant in Brookings. I'm 38 years old. Tim comes to me and says, I got a job for you. You want to take this job at the church? And I had to take a significant pay cut that year to do that. Like a lot. And I remember going, oh, God. I laid out the letter before him. I feel threatened. I, 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 am I placing my security in, in, in pay and in a, in a career? Or am I going to trust in you? Right? And I'm laying out the letter and I'm praying. And I stepped into ministry and I look back. Now, I haven't regretted that. I've never regretted that. The life I've lived has been a fantastic life. God is so good and so faithful. Well, then, three years into the, 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 the ministry here, we get a call from Williston, the come pastor of the church in Williston, North Dakota. Ah! Down goes the letter. No! What is this about? And we prayed and prayed, and it was apparent that it was God's will for us to move to Williston, North Dakota, and pastor up there. For 10 years, we did that. And I tell you what, I look back with fondness and all those folks, and I think about them often, and I think about the good things that God did in all the ministry there and all thousands of lives that were touched. And I'm like, God, you're good. But at the moment, that letter, that was scary. Then, 10 years into that, I get a call from Brookings, South Dakota. That's this place. They want me to come back here. And I remember thinking, I wasn't even on my radar screen. And I remember putting a letter out and praying. And I'm, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And you know what? I want, to, I want your kingdom to come. I want your name to be exalted. And I'll go. What? And it was our family. I had to take a whole family. You know, it's hard to move family around with lots of kids. It's one thing for you to move. But it's another thing when you have, you know, six kids involved. Five and then four, whatever. You know, they kind of grow up and go out the top end, which is a good thing. Amen. 
but you follow what I'm saying and come back here. And then, then I think, oh, okay, God, okay, well, you want me to be right away. This place just starts growing. And we talk about building a building. I'm going, oh, God, do you want us to do this? And we started praying about it. I talked with Bruce this morning and it's becoming fruition now. We're seeing it. If this thing process started like five years ago. And I mean, it's hard on your soul if you're a pastor and you do this kind of stuff. I'm just, I'm whining now. Anyway, so you're praying over it. That's what you do. You take your letter from Assyria, whatever's disturbing your soul, you lay it out before God and you say, God, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Be mighty among the peoples. Let's pray and then we need to sing because I got to get you out of here short on time. Here we go. Lord God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for the example of Hezekiah. I want to thank you for this first leg we've run in our journey from here to there. And Lord, I pray we become a little bit more like Jesus this morning. You, Jesus, had radical uh, faith. You just had radical trust in the, in, in, the, in the Heavenly Father. And God, we want to look like that. We want to look like Jesus. We want to act like Hezekiah when we have our letters from Assyria show up. And so this morning, Lord, I pray for anybody here that's facing something really difficult in their life right now. Uh, and if they're not, they will. I pray that that letter would be laid before you and they would pray the prayer of Hezekiah. God, see what's being said here. See what's being done to me. Hear my prayer as I exalt you and lift you up. You're God Almighty, the only God. There is no other God beside you. You're our Father in heaven. You're the hallowed one. And we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that we begin to pray like that as your people and follow after you as your people in that, in that regard, Lord. And I just pray your will be done in all of our lives here. I'm going to simply end there. In Jesus' name and by his blood, amen.